Happy Monday morning, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Monday Morning Mean Event. I am your host, Kyle the Mean Event McGee. We got a bit to talk about today. This Saturday was Edwards vs. Muhammad UFC Fight Night. A lot of controversy on this card, including the main event itself. We've also got a lot to talk about outside of that, including this Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes situation. Tony Ferguson's next fight has been booked. We're talking about Conor McGregor and comments made by John Cavanaugh and Dana White this week, and we are looking ahead to Brunson versus Holland next Saturday night. So let's not waste any time. Let's get right into the action. And let's start by talking about one of the controversial fights on the card, which was the Eric Anders-Darren Stewart fight. So Eric Anders and Darren Stewart starts off, and it's a very good fight. Um, You know, Darren Stewart is definitely the more crisp striker. He's landing the cleaner shots. He's looking a lot, lot more technical with his shots, whereas Anders is throwing a lot more stiff power shots. Stewart's connecting early. Uh, actually tags him a few times, has his nose bleeding, and then Anders absolutely rocks Darren Stewart. Has him in so much trouble, is throwing knees, punching him in the face, just hurting him. Has him rocked against the cage. You know, Herb Dean's warning him to fight back at this point, and he's just got him uh, figuratively on the ropes, uh, literally on the cage, and just teeing off. And at one point, I noticed Stewart go down, and... uh, Anders throws a knee to the head. And, uh, you know, Herb Dean warns him, and Stewart works his way back up, and it continues again, and then uh, Stewart goes down again, and, and Anders throws the illegal knee again. This time it connects pretty good. Um, so obviously Herb Dean calls a stop to the fight, and, uh, yeah, two weekends in a row now, uh, We've seen guys throw a legal knee to the head of a grounded opponent. Um, Herb Dean brings the doctor in, and at first, you know, the doctor comes in, checks on Stewart for a second, and just kind of walks out. Um, you know, Stewart's just kind of rocking back and forth while he's standing, just kind of swaying. Uh, Herb Dean asks the uh, the doctor to come back in, so the doctor comes and, and takes a look at him and says, Okay, Darren, uh, walk towards me real quick. Uh, Darren walks towards him and again kind of swaying back and forth and then uh, he tells Herb Dean to stop the fight. Herb Dean calls the fight. Um, Sounds like we got a train going by so just fair warning you're going to be hearing that. Um, Herb Dean calls to stop the fight and it's a no contest. Uh, You know what? Fair enough. It was an unintentional blow. you know, Eric Anders got caught up in the heat of moment. That's fine. But but my question is, and this question will come up again later, um, what is the determination for whether or not for it to be a DQ versus a no contest? So last week, the knee by Piotr Jan was, was clearly intentional. You know, he had been warned by the referee to not throw it. Very clearly threw the knee to a downed opponent. Um, now, I'm not lobbying to have disqualified Eric Anders in this situation. I, I don't necessarily disagree with the no contest call, but but my question here is if he had already been warned because he had already thrown one. I, I, th- I think that's what a lot of people are overlooking here is Eric Anders had already thrown a knee to the head of Darren Stewart while he was down in this fight, and this was a one-round fight. 
Um, so what? What's the difference there? I, I just I guess I struggle to understand how if he was already warned and threw it a second time, how that isn't a pretty similar circumstance. Um, again, I have no problem with the no contest call. I do believe we'll see that fight again. Hopefully, we will. Uh, it was shaping up to be a pretty good fight. You know, Darren Stewart was definitely still in the fight. Uh, now, when I told you he was on the ropes, don't take that as me saying that fight was over. Um, that, that fight was not over. Darren Stewart was still throwing back and was still even landing some of the punches he was throwing. This fight was nowhere near over. But he was definitely rocked. And it, he had clipped Eric Anders a few times. I would definitely like to see them run this back and get a... Uh, conclusive finish to it, but it, it just it baffles me how a, a referee can give a warning to a guy for throwing an illegal blow like that, and then only moments later, the same illegal blow is thrown again, and it's a no contest. Um, you know, I just I, I'm I understand he probably would have taken a point had the fight been able to continue. Um, I, I can't speak to how, you know, rocked or concussed Darren Stewart may have been. Personally watching it and seeing how the situation was handled, uh, when I say he was swaying back and forth, it wasn't like, you know, he looked loopy or anything. It almost looked more like he was just kind of moving uh, his upper body from side to side. It didn't look like anything was um, involuntary as far as his movement. I, I wasn't 100% sure what made the doctor and Herb Dean want to stop the fight. I would assume it was something they saw in his eyes. Again, I can't speak to how rock Darren Stewart was. Um, but I, I personally felt that it looked like the fight probably could have been able to continue. Um, but I will never, you know, say that I know more than a doctor or a referee. So, you know, I, I don't have a problem with the no contest call. And I'm, I'm fine with it. And I'm fine with seeing a rematch. It just, it is a little puzzling to me. That a, a guy can be warned for a strike, uh, throw it again seconds later, and it's a no contest. Now, the irony of Eric Anders throwing this strike, by the way. So first off, two weekends in a row we've had a fight in due to knee to the head of a grounded opponent. That's two weekends in a row. That is just absolutely amazing to me. Secondly, last Saturday, uh, Eric Anders tweeted, Piotr Jan is playing by pride rules. So he mocked Piotr Jan, made a joke about Piotr Jan throwing an illegal knee, and then ends his own fight with one. Uh, I, I think that I think that's just a uh, a bit comical. Um, again, I'm not gonna say he threw it intentionally, but I, I do believe it was just a bit ironic that he would uh, he would post that and then that his fight would end that way and be because of him throwing it. Uh, just a little bit of. Uh, uh, funny side of things. Um, so now I want to move on and I want to talk about the of the night bonus winners. So the the fights kicked off with the early prelims uh, with Matthew Simmelsperger getting a 16 second KO. Very first punch he threw and puts the guy out cold. Absolutely incredible. Moves to 2-0 uh, in his UFC career. No disagreement at all with that being a performance in the night bonus. Just absolutely incredible. Can't wait to see this guy get back in there. Um, 
Your next of the night bonus was Davy Grant. Now, this Davy Grant fight, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about. So the Davy Grant fight, it's Davy Grant versus Jonathan Martinez. Now, this fight, it was pretty clear getting right out of the gate that Jonathan Martinez was the much more technical fighter. Uh, Jonathan was throwing a lot of very crisp strikes, a lot of straight punches, a lot of one-twos, things like that. Um, Grant was throwing a lot of looping shots, a lot of really hard power looping shots. He was throwing some spinning kicks and stuff like that. You know, he, he didn't look terrible by any means. Uh, but you could tell he was really winging his punches. Um, Martinez in the first round just, just landing the more crisp strikes and ends up putting uh, David Grant down near the end of the first round. Now, David Grant, tough as nails. Um, you know, there's no question in the heart of that guy. He, he powered through. He, you know, didn't go out and was able to recover, kept it going, made it to the second round. Second round. Uh, David Grant actually kind of pulled Jonathan Martinez into his style of fight. Uh, Jonathan Martinez went from his really crisp striking to he started engaging in a brawl with David Grant. Uh, at certain points, he was looping his punches. He'd go back and kind of calm down a bit, but, you know, you could tell after he had hurt David Grant, David Grant was really like, okay, let's make this a brawl. And Martinez got willing to engage with him, and it ended up costing him in a big way he david grant threw a uh really hard right hook to the body and then just threw a looping left hand to the head and put jonathan martinez out it was an absolutely incredible knockout uh should have been stopped immediately uh the ref unfortunately wanted david grant to throw some more follow-up strikes the uh first shot on the ground i think was just as bad as the left hook that he threw, uh, as far as damage-wise, it could have been stopped right after the left hook and there would have been no problems. Uh, so Martinez ends up taking a few extra shots on the ground. You know, thankfully he seemed like he was able to recover okay, but yeah, I think when a fighter goes down like that, uh, it, it was pretty clear it was over. Referees definitely need to step in a little bit better, but absolutely incredible by Davy Grant. He's got so much heart. Um, I remember him all the way back from the uh, the Ronda Rousey Misha Tate season of the Ultimate Fighter, and he's he's come a long way since then. You know, he's he's getting some wins in the UFC now. He's it, I'm enjoying watching him in the UFC, and I I don't think he'll ever be a top fighter in his division, but I think he's going to be a fighter they keep around because I think he's always going to be capable of delivering a fun fight or a fun moment in the night. And yeah, just I can't wait to see what happens next with him. The next of the night bonus was Dynamite Dan Ige. There is not a lot to talk about with this one other than that. My God, did Dan Ige prove his nicknames. Dan Ige is in there with Gavin Tucker. And, and this is the fight that I saw a lot of people were looking forward to the most. You know, uh, Gavin Tucker going into this fight 13-1. and one, He's, you know... Coming off of a few wins, he's got a decision lost in the UFC, but other than that, he's on a, a three-fight winning streak, and has looked good each time he's out there. You know, had a, had a submission win two fights in a row, and then won his last fight against Billy Quarantillo by, or Quarantillo by decision um, at UFC 256. People were really looking forward to this one. Um, Tucker stepping up on short notice. Big chance for a breaking out party for Gavin Tucker here. Uh, Dan Ige was having none of that. Dan Ige comes out, uh, you know, they 
are kind of pawing at each other. They're kind of feeling the range, feeling the distance. And then Dan Ige just throws a right hand down the center and puts Gavin Tucker out 22 seconds into the first round. I mean, just there's not much else to say about that. Absolute dynamite in the hands of dynamite Dan Ige. He, he proved why his nickname is Dynamite. There's no questioning it. Um, I, I absolutely was blown away by, by how quick that was, how good it looked. And then the walk-off. The walk-off is such a special thing in MMA to me. It's something I always love, especially when the guys can do it right. And, and this was him doing it right. He drilled him with that punch got the knockoff and just walked away. It was beautiful. Now, Ige is in a pretty interesting spot. He is uh, he's in the top 10 of his division. He was number 9 heading into this fight. Now, Gavin Tucker was not ranked, but again, this was a short-notice replacement fight. But before this, Dan Ige's uh, lost the in the main event to Calvin Cater uh, uh, last July on Fight Island. But before that... He was on a six-fight winning streak, including a split decision over Edson Barboza in his fight before the Calvin Cater fight. His last loss before that was January 2018. So this guy's absolutely a top contender in this division right now. And it's a matter of what do you do next with him. Now, you know, looking at the the top ten of the division, you know, Calvin Cater uh, obviously coming off a big loss to Max Holloway. But these two just fought... I don't see that likely being the next fight. Um, I think looking at the rankings, you got to look at and try and see, you know, who's got matchups coming up. Um, so, you know, off the top of my head, Josh Emmett is coming off of a fight against Shane Burgos, um, which was a phenomenal fight last June. Now, I'm not 100% sure, but I do not believe he's got a fight booked up next. Um but he is uh, he also tore his ACL last year, so he might not be available anytime soon. It's, it's an interesting spot. You know, you got Yair Rodriguez is out. Um, Zabit is number three in the division, but I'd say if anything's next for him, it's going to be Max Holloway. Um, you know, you've got Korean Zombies an option, maybe Jeremy Stevens. The, the, the featherweight division, you know, with Yair being suspended and... and, and Alex versus Brian Ortega happening. It's in an interesting spot. Uh, I don't think you do Calvin Cater versus Dan Ige right away after they just fought, or it'd be a, that'd be an easy one to make. So I, I'd say, you know, uh, Jeremy Stevens probably be – Jeremy Stevens or Korean Zombie probably be the guys you want to look to uh, as far as what's next for Dan Ige. Uh, I, I do believe he deserves a, a top contender up next, and I look forward to seeing – what is next for him? You know, that just that. What a right hand from hell. Uh, the absolute power in that man's hands. There's no denying it. And I, I, I definitely look forward to seeing him in there next. I just don't know right now with the state of the featherweight division who you really put him in there with. Do you, do you put him in there with the, the loser of the title fight? I, I don't see him being ready for that yet, you know, he's he's coming off a loss before this to the number six guy in the world in Calvin Cater, so I don't see them giving him the loser of a title fight. I, I think, you know, Korean Zombie or, or Jeremy Stevens are going to be the, the type of opponents you want to match him up with. Now, the final of the night bonus winner 
was good old Superman Ryan Spann. Ryan Spann was in there with Misha Serkunov, um, a perennial top 10 to top 15 contender over the years. Ryan Spann, I believe coming off the loss to Johnny Walker in the first round. Um, you know, Ryan Spann, they talked about, you know, as soon as they were talking about it, um, I talked about how Misha Serkunov and his, his corner have noticed that Ryan Spann has had some cardio issues in the past, and as soon as they said that, boom, puts Misha on his back, follows him up to the ground, and just doesn't let up. He lets him back up. Um, the, his corner, very smart corner advice, his corner told him, no, 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 let Misha back up. He lets Misha Serkunov back up. Ends up dropping it again and just waylays him with some hammer fists on the ground. Misha's covering up, but he's absolutely feeling those punches. And they call the fight. Obviously, they call the fight. Um, fantastic win for Ryan Spann coming off that Johnny Walker loss in which, honestly, I, he had Johnny Walker hurt bad. And really, he just kind of cost himself the fight because he got careless. Other than that, his only loss... Uh, it, it, in anything UFC related is on the Dana White Contender Series. You know he's got win. He's got a knockout win over Rogerio Nogueira. He's got a decision win over Sam Alvey. He's got a submission win over Devin Clark. Um, you know he's he's got some wins in the UFC. So he's definitely in the probably in the top top close to top ten now. Misha Zerkunov was number eleven now, uh, so he's probably gonna take Misha's spot. Um, he called for the, the winner of Jimmy Croup versus Anthony Smith for his next fight. I love the idea of that. I think Anthony Smith, um, you know, following the John Jones fight, he had the Gustafson fight, but then he had the Glover Teixeira fight. Then after that, he had the Alexander Rockets fight. So I think he's a bit of ways away from getting another title fight. So, you know, I don't I don't think it's a bad matchup at all. I like the idea of Ryan Spann versus the winner of that fight. I also just like that Ryan Spann called for that fight. Um, you know, looking at as far as who's ahead of him in the rankings, uh, Johnny Walker's ahead of him. Again, that fight just happened. I don't see them doing a rematch between those two. You got Nikita Krylov, Volkan Demir, Magomed Ankalov, uh, Anthony Smith at number six, Yuri Projaska, which he's not going to get. I don't believe he's going to get anyone one through five. You know, we know with the light heavyweight division, Glover Teixeira is fighting Jan Blachowicz. We know that Tiago Santos, oh, sorry, Tiago Santos coming off the loss to Alexander Rakic. We know we got Dominic Reyes versus Yuri Prochaska. I, I don't see him getting a Tiago Santos next. I don't see him getting a Rakic next. Um, I, I could easily see him getting the winner of Anthony Smith and Jim Crute. Um, you know, I think Vulcan Olsdimmer would be fun. I don't know if Vulcan's got anything lined up, but that could be a potentially fun matchup for Ryan Spann. I, I think at light heavyweight, the, the top five, for the most part, is probably going to remain the top five. But man, a guy with the power that Ryan Spann has, you will never be able to discredit. Is he maybe a top fighter in that division as far as top five, maybe even top three goes? No, probably not, but can he give any one of them problems if he connects clean? Absolutely he can. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely am interested to see what they book next for him. I could see them doing an Oles Dimmer or a Nikita Krylov as well. So, you know, time will tell. The light heavyweight division is definitely interesting. I think 
Uh, John Jones being out of the division, and this is not an insult to him. This is a compliment to him. John Jones leaving the division gave that division a a breath of fresh air and a new life because you actually now believe that new guys can become the champion. Um, and I think it's really helping, and I'm really interested to see what happens with that division over the next year or two. So now for the controversy in the main event. Leon Edwards makes his return after 600 days Bahal Muhammad coming in on short notice to take this fight, number 13 versus number 3. It was said before this fight by Dana White himself that if Leon Edwards put on a spectacular performance, he would get the next shot at the title. So obviously, Leon Edwards was going out there to put on a show. Leon Edwards is going out there to dominate. He's been calling for it. He wants this title shot bad. This was his chance to get it. For Bahal Muhammad, this was his, you know, chance to have a coming out party. He he can make a name off of Leon Edwards, especially taking this fight on short notice. You know, Leon's not fought in 600 days. This this could be really bad for Leon if he's got ring rust. Bahal Muhammad is a, you know, he's he's a gamer. He's he's gonna be out there and he's he's gonna be in your face and he's he's gonna fight you. <clears throat> that first round of action was definitely pretty one-sided. Um, Leon hurt him early with a head kick, didn't put him down, but definitely had him a little, little hurt, a little wobbly on his legs. Leon looked absolutely phenomenal first round. He did land a pretty, pretty insignificant, but it happened, eye poke in the first round. <clears throat> and Herb Dean kind of had to warn him to, uh, stop reaching out with his hands extended in the first round, because it was, it was a constant thing he was doing, was he was extending his lead hand out. And when he was doing that, his fingers were open. And, uh, it, you know, so, okay. Uh, definitely needs to watch that. But he's he's winning this fight pretty handily. You know, he he puts Bahal away in the next round or two. And, and we got a we got a number one contender on our hands. And he's fighting Kamara Usman next. And then about 17 seconds into the second round, uh, another eye poke lands. And this one was really bad. Immediately put Bahal Muhammad onto the ground, screaming in pain. His eye was swelling up. There was blood coming out. It, it was very clear right away this fight wanted to be over. And the, um, it, sorry, the fight was going to be over. And Bahal Muhammad, the emotion was pouring out of him immediately. He was crying. You could tell he knew they were going to stop this fight. And that's just got to be absolutely devastating for this guy. You know, he, he knows he's got a chance to make a name for himself in this main event. And, to have it taken away from him in that way because, look, let's be honest with ourselves. Win, lose, or draw, Bahama Hamid was coming out a winner on Saturday if he did anything of any significance because this guy stepped up on short notice and he's got a chance to become a big name. You know, if he takes out on Leon Edwards or even puts up a good fight against Leon Edwards, he's a top contender in this division now. Um... Unfortunately, it didn't go that way. You know, Leon was taking control of that fight, and then the eye poke happened. Uh, unfortunate for both guys. You know, Leon Edwards would have gotten a title shot with an impressive performance. I don't see that happening now. Uh, Bahal Muhammad, you know, just devastating for that guy to step up on short notice, get a main event, and, and have it taken away from him like this. I don't know that I necessarily see the UFC booking a rematch. Uh, Bahal Muhammad wasn't even supposed to be there anyway. It was supposed to be Hamzat Chemaev. I definitely see them, you know, giving Bahal a you know a, a ranked opponent next and moving him forward. But I don't think that Leon Edwards 
is going to be who they do. I think Leon might have been a little bit too much too soon for him. Unfortunately, we won't know. We were only a round into a five-round fight. Anything can happen. But personally, I don't think I would rebook that fight. Um, I think for Baham Muhammad, you know, th there's nothing but options. And that guy doesn't lose any stock for getting poked in the eye. And I don't believe he should be punished for getting poked in the eye, obviously. Um, but, you know, looking at the rankings, I, I could see match him up with the winner of Vicente Luque and Tyron Woodley. Uh, I think that'd be a really, really interesting one to put him in there with. Maybe you could put him in there with Neil Magny, who's coming off the loss to Michael Chiesa. Or maybe even Jeff Neal, who's coming off a loss to um, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. It's... There's there's options out there now for Leon Edwards. Uh, I understand you know this this was a heartbreaking moment for him. Here's something I, I disagree with and what I don't like about what Leon Edwards is doing. Leon Edwards is is still calling for his title fight. I want that to sink in for a second. I want you to think about that for a moment. Leon Edwards had his fight in due to an eye poke. And he's still calling for a title fight with Kamara Usman. This is the first time we've seen him fight in nearly two years. He does not have a win since the summer of 2019 against Rafael Dos Anjos, which, don't get me wrong, is a big win, no matter how you want to slice it. That's a big win, especially when you look at how one-sided that fight was. But to call for a title fight after not fighting for nearly two years and then having your fight in a no contest due to an eye poke against the number 13 guy in the world... That just doesn't feel like something you have the ability to call for right now. I, I don't think you have anything to stand on as far as saying you deserve to fight for the title. I think he needs to fight a top guy next. Now, there's options out there for him, thankfully. Looking at the rankings, who could Leon Edwards fight next? Well, I think the logical fight to book and what I wish they could have gotten done for this one is Colby Covington. I think Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington makes the most sense, and we will have a bona fide and absolutely clear-cut number one contender in this division if they fight. I, I don't know that that's going to happen. Colby Covington came out this morning. Uh, it came out this morning that Colby Covington said uh, he is not He would absolutely be willing to do that fight, but he's not going to do it for charity, and that Leon basically doesn't still doesn't have a win in the last two years and that he thinks Leon needs to get to win before they fight. I don't know that I'd agree with that, uh, looking at the rankings. Now, here's an interesting stat for you. I'm going to read to you the top five. Colby Covington, Gilbert Burns, Leon Edwards, Masvidal, Stephen Thompson. I'm reading you those five names for a reason, and the reason I name you those five names is of those top five contenders, only two of them have fought each other, and that's Masvidal and Stephen Thompson, and that was nearly four years ago now. So that fight, honestly, at this point, is kind of irrelevant because it could go completely differently when they meet again. Now, looking at how Stephen Thompson versus Masvidal went, no, I don't think it would go differently. I think it's still pretty relevant to what would happen. But my point is, of our top five contenders, other than that, not a single one of them has a relevant fight against each other. You know, Colby Covington and Gilbert Burns have not fought each other. Colby Covington and Leon Edwards have not fought each other. Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal have not fought each other. Colby Covington and Stephen Thompson have not fought each other. I can go through each name on the list, and I will say the exact same things to you about every one of them, other than Masvidal and Thompson. But again, that was at UFC 217, St. Pierre versus Bisbing, November of 2017. 
We are three years and four months removed from that fight. We know what time can do when it comes to a rematch and how irrelevant it can make that first fight. And if you don't believe me, see Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor too, which I will get to in a little bit. We need to have these top contenders fight each other. I think the logical thing to do next, let's be honest with ourselves, Masvidal's not going to take any other fight but Kamara Usman, and there is, on my end and from what I've seen online, no interest in that fight. I, and this whole, you know, oh, I, I was on six days notice, imagine what I can do with a full camp. It'll be the exact same thing will happen to Jorge Masvidal in a full camp, and anybody that believes otherwise has not really looked at Jorge Masvidal's career. Uh, and this is not a knock on Jorge Masvidal, but the guy is 7-5 and five in the welterweight division. And his biggest wins are, you know, Darren Till win. That's a pretty big one. Um, but then you've got Ben Askren, who, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend that knockout wasn't spectacular. But Ben Askren barely won his first fight in the UFC, and that was fairly controversial, and then lost to Damian Maya. And then Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz is not a top five fighter in the world. He's, again, I and I love Diaz, but to, to make believe that Masvidal with those wins and then getting a lost-sided loss to Kamara Usman deserves another shot at Kamara Usman just because he's a big star is just absolutely silly. Um, but unfortunately, he's not going to take any other fight. And the other unfortunate thing outside of Jorge Masvidal is the fact that this fight ending in such a controversial way puts the welterweight division in such a weird spot, whereas we would have had a pretty clear-cut answer heading into this, you know, heading into this Monday, had Leon Edwards had a clear-cut win. Um, but I think Masvidal probably won't take any other fight but Usman, and I don't see that fight happening. So you've got what I would do next, which is Colby Covington versus Leon Edwards. And Gilbert Burns versus Stephen Thompson. I think those are the fights you book. Um, I think the winner of Colby versus Leon faces Kamaru Usman. They've both fought him. You know, Leon fought him quite a few years back. Colby, they fought in one of the best fights of 2019. Ended up being a late stoppage in a pretty close fight in what was an absolutely amazing stand-up battle. Colby had a broken jaw. Despite what you want to say about Colby and his antics, Colby is an absolutely phenomenal fighter, and the only thing that would make me disinterested in you booking a rematch in him and Kamar Usman right now is that his only win since that fight is over Tyron Woodley, who was on a two-fight losing streak that I don't think anybody in their right mind believed he was going to defeat Colby Covington in. Um, I, I think Colby and Leon Edwards is a fantastic matchup. I think it really is a good test for Leon to see if he's ready for a title shot because, you know, Colby is very likely going to bring that wrestling, and he's going to bring that wrestling pace, and it's going to show whether or not Leon is going to be ready for what Kamara Usman is going to bring to him because if you think Kamara Usman is not going to wrestle Leon Edwards, you're sorely mistaken. He is definitely going to. He's not the jiu-jitsu threat that Gilbert Burns was. He's definitely going to be wrestling with Leon Edwards. Um, so I think, you know, putting Leon and Colby is a, a great fight. Whereas with Gilbert Burns, you know, he's absolutely had deserved his title shot with Kamara Usman. But coming off that loss, you know, he's got to work his way back up. And, and speaking of working your way up, Stephen Thompson wants a shot at the title. He wants to be a champ. You know, I, I went back and watched his first fight with Woodley the other day, and, man, you... 
take away him getting dropped in round four. And I mean, that, that was a 10-8 round for sure. That was, but that fight was 3-2 Thompson in my book. Uh, you know, if Ron, Thompson hadn't gotten hurt as bad as he did, he was walking out the champ that night. Uh, so, you know, he, he definitely wants that. And I, I personally believe he won the second Woodley fight, although there was barely a winner in that fight. I, I did still score it for Thompson. So, But my point being that Thompson wants that again. He, he wants that belt. He wants to get back up there. He wants that shot again, and he wants to actually win it this time. And I think Stephen Thompson presents problems for anybody in that division. You know, I know he's had some losses. He had that freak knockout loss to Anthony Pettis that I believe nine times out of ten they fight would not happen. I, I believe, you know, he had the very close decision loss to Darren Till. It, it, he's had, but he's he's coming off of a few wins. I don't believe he deserves a title shot next. I know he was calling for it. He is the only person in the top five to have not fought Kamara Usman, so on that alone I get it, but he's definitely not ready for it. So I say Gilbert Burns, Stephen Thompson, Colby Covington, Leon Edwards. Now, transversely, you know, you could mix up some of those names, but I think those are the, the ones to do next if... Colby doesn't want to fight Leon, you know, that's fine. Maybe do Leon versus Stephen Thompson for the number one contenders fight and do uh, try and get Colby versus Gilbert Burns, or sorry, Colby versus Jorge Masvidal, get them on the ultimate fighter and, and give Gilbert Burns Michael Chiesa at that rate. You know, there's there's so many things you can do with that welterweight division, but the problem right now is there's nothing really appealing that you can do with the champion of the world. And that's fine. Uh, you know, he's beat practically everybody in that top 10. You don't need to just throw a name at him just for the sake of him having a title shot. Get him a real contender. Um, and, and I think it's going to clear everything up here soon. They'll probably book some fights to go forward. I don't think Leon Edwards is in the spot he thinks he's in to call for the title shot. And I think he's probably going to be told that by Dana White himself. Hopefully we'll have a clear-cut contender over the next few months. Maybe we can get Kamaru back by September to December range and get a title shot, title defense before the end of the year. But if not, you know, that we've got to have a clear-cut contender, and I don't think that we truthfully do right now. And that is unfortunately the spot we're put in after a controversial finish on Saturday. Now up next, I want to talk quite a bit about this, and it, it goes into that not having contenders ready conversation. Uh... Juliana Pena has, has been calling for a fight with Amanda Nunes for a long time, but she's really been heavily calling for it since the uh, fight card of UFC 257, uh, McGregor Poirier, where she had her submission win over Sarah McMahon. I'm going to take nothing away from that. She's got a submission win over an Olympic silver medalist wrestler. She out-wrestled her. She out-grappled her. Not taking anything away from that victory. What I will say is that she is taking that victory over somebody who is 1-3 in their last four fights and has not been a truthful top contender in a meaningful amount of time. And she's calling out Amanda Nunes. Now, props to it. Nobody's going to get it if they just sit and wait and hope for it. I'd have no problem with Juliana Pena calling out Amanda Nunes and demanding a title fight. I think it's a smart move. Um, especially with Holly Holm pulling out of their fight, I have no problems with it. The problem I have is the way she's going about it and the things she's saying, because there's not a person out there that I believe thinks anything she's saying makes sense. And I think she's making herself just look absolutely asinine. 
she could absolutely call for the fight and say, you know what? I'm the only contender in this division that seems to want this fight right now. Give me the fight. I've wanted to fight Nunes for years. I got a submission win over an Olympic silver medalist. Give me the shot next. Um, she's she's gone on the record and saying it's blatantly obvious that Nunes is scared of her. To say that Amanda Nunes is scared of anyone to me, um, no. This is the absolute woman's go. You're going to tell me that a woman who has fought Valentina Shevchenko twice is scared of someone? You're going to tell me the woman who took out Misha Tate inside of three minutes is scared of someone? You're going to tell me the woman who went in there and took out Ronda Rousey in 47 seconds is scared of someone? You're going to tell me someone that took out Chris Cyborg inside of a minute is scared of someone? No. I don't believe this. This woman knocked out Holly Holm with a head kick. Her own move. This Amanda Nunes is not scared of anyone. You're not fooling anyone by saying she's scared of you. And even better yet, she talked about how Nunes is running scared of her because she knows that she's a stylistically nightmare matchup for her because she's had problem with wrestlers and grapplers before. And, you know, she's making reference to her loss to Nunes' loss to Kat Zinganu, which, again, how long ago was that? Is that loss even relevant anymore? And she brought up that she beat Kat Zinganu. And she beat Sarah McMahon. And that proves that she is the best grappler in the division. No, no well, hold on. Just one second. If we we're wanting to go this route of, I beat Kat Zinganu and Kat Zinganu beat her... And, you know, I submitted an Olympic silver medalist, and that proves I'm the, the best wrestler in this division, and it shows that she's scared of me. Well, let me do something for you, Juliana Pena. Let me explain to you why Nunez is not taking a fight with you. You are 2-2 two and two in your last four. You are on a one-fight winning streak. Heading into your fight with Jermaine Duraname one fight before this win, you are on a one-fight winning streak. You have two losses and two victories in your last four. Now, I'm not going to take anything away from your two victories. That's awesome, you know? Winning a fight at all, especially in the top of the division, that's great. I'm not taking anything away from your victory over Sarah McMahon. But if you want to talk about being the best grappler in the division and saying that Nunez is scared of you and that she's running away from this fight and that you are clearly the one that deserves to fight her... Then let's get down to it and explain something. You think that you're a stylistic match for her. She's scared of you because you beat Kat Zinganu and she couldn't. Okay, well, she beat Valentina Shevchenko, who had just submitted you. She's 2-0 against Valentina Shevchenko, who submitted you. Valentina's one thing going into that fight was she's going to win this fight standing and Juliana Pena will win this fight if it's on the ground, and she caught you in an armbar. So let's go with that. Now Shevchenko's no longer in the division. Okay, maybe you are the best grappler in the division, and that's fine. Now let's move forward to your loss to Jermaine Durandame. Jermaine Durandame was coming off of a lopsided loss to Nunez, where Nunez mauled her on the ground. It was a one-sided beatdown, and Nunez did it on the ground. You fought Jermaine Durandame. Jermaine Durandame and you had a pretty, you had a pretty tough fight against her. Even when you could get the fight to the ground, and it was the same narrative as the Shevchenko fight. 
Juliana Pena needs to get this fight to the ground. If Juliana Pena gets this fight to the ground and wins this fight, she's next for Amanda Nunes. That was what was said about you heading into the Valentina Shevchenko fight. And the Jermaine Durandame fight, you had trouble every time it went to the ground. Jermaine was even getting you to the ground. There was, it was third round, and there was no sign to me that you were going to win a decision. And what happens? Jermaine Durandame, the kickboxer, who you have the grappling advantage over, submits you in the third round. Now you want to tell me and tell everybody that Nunez is running scared of you because you are the best grappler in the division when your two losses in your 2-2 two and two streak that you're on are coming to kickboxers. Now I understand Shevchenko's done a lot with her grappling. I'm not saying she's solely a kickboxer. But my point is that you're going to say you're the best grappler in the division, and that's why Nunez is scared of you. You are 2-2 two and two in your last four. You can't put a winning streak together. You've not beaten anyone in the top five. You've, in fact, lost two people in the top five, being Jermaine Durandame. And you're now telling me that you deserve the title fight, nobody else does, and Nunez is running scared of you. Nunez is not running scared of you. You have done nothing to make yourself a top contender. Now, the sad thing is... There's nobody else out there calling for the fight, and there's nobody else out there that really deserves it. You know, Jermaine Durandamay, she's not going to get a title fight quite yet. She's going to have to do a lot to earn it because of how lopsided her loss to Nunez was. But to me, the fact that Juliana Pena is talking such a big game, she is going to be a lamb led to the slaughter. We need a true contender made for Amanda Nunez. I'm not saying that Juliana Pena cannot get there. Juliana Pena absolutely can. And by the way, I don't want this to be me taken as just taking shots at someone. I am a fan of Juliana Pena. And that's what frustrates me so much about this situation. Is she has had countless opportunities to earn this shot. And I've rooted for her each time she's had a chance to earn this shot. And she can't do it. But then each time she gets a win, even if it's not somebody in the top five, she talks to me and talks to everybody. Obviously, she doesn't talk to me directly, but she talks to us and says that she deserves it. Nunez is running. Nunez is scared. Nunez is turning her down because she knows that she's a stylistic matchup. You've done nothing to show that. What, because you beat Kat Zinganu in 2016? Kat Zinganu of 2016 versus the Kat Zinganu that Amanda Nunez fought are completely different fighters. Amanda Nunes just fought Megan Anderson, who beat Kat Zinganu. So I don't think she's scared to fight somebody just because they beat Kat Zinganu. It just absolutely baffles me to hear someone talk like this. And, you know, she made the comment about, like, Nunes needs to vacate her belt if she wants to stay at 145 and be fat. So, so now we've taken to grade school level insults. Uh, just mind-boggling to me by Juliana Pena. And, and it's frustrating to me as a fan of her, but it's also frustrating to me because she has had opportunities to make herself that contender, to get herself that fight, and she blows it every time, then talks about how she deserves it anyway. Get out there, fight some of the top five that earned it. I know it's not your fault Holly Holm has a medical condition and pulled out of the fight, and that would have been your chance to earn it. And I know that Dana White's keen on the fight, and it'll probably happen anyway. But that's all you need. Just talk about the fact that, you know what, I've been so close each time. I got a submission win over an Olympic silver medalist. I think I've been in this division long enough. I'm the only contender calling for it that you haven't fought. I deserve a shot. You know what, that alone I'd be like, you know what, maybe not, but sure, fine. But the trash talk that has happened just turns me off to it because there's not a bit of that trash talk that I buy. Um, 
Yeah, that's about all I have to say on that. So now we've got. I'm going to move on to the men's lightweight division. So John Cavanaugh and Dana White have spoken out about Conor McGregor, and Dana White said that he believes that Conor McGregor was overlooking Dustin Poirier in this fight. Okay, sure, maybe. Um, I guess that if you're coming, if you've knocked somebody out before, it probably would be hard not to. But you know that that's that's not an excuse for why he lost. If he was overlooking him, he clearly hasn't been paying attention to the sport over the years. Dustin Poirier is a completely different fighter, and that fight was 2014. So again, we've seen what happens when prolonged periods of time happen between fights. Um, you're not always going to get the same result. Then John Cavanaugh come, came out and said. Connor is going to be taking an MMA approach to his training for the trilogy fight with Dustin Poirier. He wasn't taking an MMA approach to an MMA fight, and suddenly that gets to be an excuse for why he lost. He, as a fighter and U.S. coaches, failed to prepare him for an MMA fight and prepared him for a boxing match, and suddenly that warrants him getting a chance to do this over again? Maybe, just maybe, if you're in an MMA fight... Prepare for an MMA fight and don't use it as an excuse of, well, we, you know, we were, we went out there and we, we took a, a boxing approach to this matchup. Why would you take a boxing approach to the matchup? It's an MMA fight. You know, it's it, uh, something I've seen over the years. The Nate Diaz loss, the Khabib loss. Every time Conor McGregor loses, there's an excuse and there's a reason it happened and there's a reason why Conor deserves an immediate rematch. The, the Nate Diaz fight, well, you know, he... He, he was supposed to fight Dos Anjos at 155. He's never fought at 170 before, so that affected his cardio. And you know, it was a it was a short notice opponent change, and they had to completely change up the style of opponent he was going to fight. Nate Diaz took that fight on short notice too. Why doesn't he get the props? Why isn't it an excuse for Conor McGregor when he was already in training camp for a fight? Conor was already in training camp for a fight. Oh, it was his first time at 170. He just didn't cut weight. You can't tell me he didn't do the exact same training. He just didn't cut weight. He had another shot at 170 in the Nate Diaz rematch, and his cardio still looked like crap. Then you get the Khabib loss. Oh, well, you know, every day heading into it, oh, he's he's training with Sergey. He's working on his wrestling. He's doing this. He's going to be able to stop the takedowns. He's a bad matchup for him. He's going to be the undisputed champion again. He loses the fight. Well, you know, Connor didn't even really train for this fight. Uh... He, his foot was a balloon. Uh, he was drinking the entire time. He was drunk the entire training camp. He just didn't take it seriously. Well, that wasn't the story a few weeks ago, but now that he lost, it sure is the story. And, and it, there was talks pretty much. Honestly, the only reason that immediate rematch didn't happen, let's be honest, is because Khabib isn't money-driven. If Khabib was money-driven, that fight would have been rebooked, and that would have happened in place of the Dustin Poirier fight. It just baffles me that every time Connor loses, there's some elaborate excuse as to what caused it to happen, and it's the reason why the immediate rematch needs to happen. I've never seen a fighter get immediate rematches coming off of losses in non-title fights so often, and it happens almost every time with Connor. And I'm not saying that he can't beat Dustin Poirier if they rematch, but I don't think he will. I think Connor, the real honest-to-God excuse for what has happened to Conor McGregor, and I'm taking nothing away from Conor McGregor's skills as a fighter, 
the game has passed him by because he took too much time away from it. MMA is not something you can come in and half-ass. And Conor McGregor spent so much time preparing for that Floyd Mayweather fight. And you know what good for him? He made a lot of money. But this is a sport that the top contenders have passed him by. Because while he was focused on his money and his whiskey business and, and boxing Floyd Mayweather, these guys were in the gym getting better at MMA. That's the honest-to-God excuse of what has happened. And I'm just hearing these excuses all the time for why he lost, and it just aggravates me. I want to see the third fight. I would not be surprised to you if Dustin Poirier beats him again, whether it's knockout decision or submission. And hopefully, at that point, we get the acceptance that Conor McGregor lost this fight because he took, spent too much time away from the game and Dustin Poirier has surpassed him. Because I truly believe that that's what we saw. They used the timeout of the cage as an excuse as well immediately. I, I get it. You know, ring rust can be a factor. But he had just fought within a year. I get that the over long time, long periods of time, ring rust is a thing. But... You know, there was no ring rust when he fought Cowboy, but he fought Cowboy coming off of two knockout losses. I don't know. It just, to me, it, it never sits right to me how often and how many excuses we see after a Conor McGregor loss. Now, I'm going to go ahead and move on. That's about all I have to say on that subject. <clears throat> Tony Ferguson's got his next fight book. Tony Ferguson... Wow. Um, you know, this time last year, Tony Ferguson was 12-0 and in his last 12 fights, hadn't lost in eight years, and was heading into a title fight with Khabib Nurmagomedov, the long-anticipated title fight. Fast forward an entire year later, Tony Ferguson has lost two straight fights, and he is, they've not been close. He's got a TKO loss to Justin Gaethje in a very lopsided decision loss to Charles Oliveira. Imagine a year ago telling someone that Tony Ferguson was going to be coming off of two straight losses. They would have thought you were crazy. But that's the world we're living in. So Tony Ferguson is going to be fighting Benil Dariush. I absolutely love this fight. You know, last week I talked about how he and Islam could fight and that'd be, that'd be fun, but I, I think it's a bad matchup for him. I'm, I'm kind of glad that fight didn't happen, but it's good for Islam to call for that. I believe this results in Islam versus Rafael Dos Anjos, which I believe is the fight to make anyway. <clears throat> Benil Dariush is on a bit of a streak, and he's working his way up the rankings. Tony Ferguson is on the downslide and needs to prove he can still hang with the top guys in the division. So let's make this very clear. This is a do-or-die fight for Tony Ferguson. You know, Benil Dariush is the number nine guy in the world. If Tony Ferguson loses this fight to Benil Dariush, he is no longer a top fighter. Um, he's no longer going to be looked at as a top fighter of the world, and it's, it's going to be starting to look like maybe his time has come as far as the sport goes. You know, he is nearly, he is nearly 40 years old now. He's got a lot of mileage on him. He's got a lot of wars in his career. And he definitely looks like he's been slowing down over his last few fights. So it would not be surprising to me if he loses this fight. And it would be very sad. But it's it's very likely. Now for Benil Dariush, this is your chance to become a bona fide contender. This is this is a chance to make your name. This is what Charles Oliveira just did. If you beat Tony, Fer Tony Ferguson, you're a main star in the lightweight division right now. Now that's not going to hold true for anybody that might fight 
Tony Ferguson after Benil Dariush if Tony loses again. But for Benil, this is a huge opportunity. You can break into the top five of this division with a win against Tony Ferguson. And, you know, when you look at what's going on with that division right now, it is at a logjam because we have no idea whether or not Dana White is finally going to accept Khabib's retirement or not. I, there's, not a, there's not a scenario where I truly believe that Khabib's coming back. We've got Poirier versus McGregor trilogy. It's apparently going to happen. We've heard nothing official, but that's all it sounds like is going to happen. you got Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira, and Michael Chandler waiting in the wings. And then you got Ferguson at number five. It's, it's all a matter of what do you do with Gaethje, Oliveira, and Chandler. I believe two of them are going to fight each other, and one of them is going to be the, the ugly duck sitting out. If, if Benil Dariush wins, I, I truly believe he probably fights whoever sits out between Gaethje, Oliveira, and Chandler. Whereas if Tony gets a win in this one, I would say probably the opposite for him. I would see him probably fighting uh, realistically just where he's at. I don't see him getting Oliveira or Gaethje. Uh, you know, it's possible, but Tony Ferguson is in a weird spot even if he wins. I don't know that he necessarily fights anybody in the top five next. Um, I could see him maybe getting the winner of a Islam versus Rafael Dos Anjos type fight if he wins this. But for Benil Dariush, if you win this fight, you're going you're going right into the top guys. So it's this is very interesting for the lightweight division, and it would just really be nice if we could accept that Khabib's moving on, vacate the title, and get some clarity in this division, get a champion, and give these guys something to fight for. Because right now, they're just fighting for one-offs. There, there's nothing that they're fighting for. There's no prize. There's no championship. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. Though. There's no gold medal to get because the guy that has it, Dana White, won't accept his retirement. The division's really being held up. And it really, it, we need to stop holding it up. It, it's time for that division to move on. Vacate the belt and let's get it going. Benil Dariush, I hope he can have a coming out party. I, I'm not necessarily rooting against Tony Ferguson. I hope for the best for both of these guys. I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait for that fight to happen. That'll be at UFC 262. Man, this is this is do or die for Tony Ferguson. I, I cannot stress that enough. This this really is. Um, and it's just crazy to think we're one year removed from him being on the chance to fight Khabib finally to he's in a do or die type situation. Crazy what one year can do. It really and truly is. All right, guys, last but not least, let's go ahead and look forward to next Saturday's fight card next Saturday. Derek Brunson versus Kevin Holland, co-main event, Gregor Gillespie versus Brad Riddell. Those are the main fights that stand out to me. You know, we've got Ty Tuivasa on the card. You've got Marion Renew on the prelims, Trevin Giles. you got Johnny Eduardo on the prelims. It's it's not an overly exciting fight card, but though, but it's... Those are the fight cards that always deliver. Now, the main event itself is absolutely incredible, and I love the idea of Brad Riddell versus Gregor Gregor Gillespie. So, Gregor Gillespie has not fought since the knockout loss to Kevin Lee. Before that, he was on a tear. You know, he he was moving his way up that division and uh, was unbeaten in the UFC in all but one of his fights was a finish. You have a knockout. A submission, a TKO, a submission, a TKO, and then the unfortunate knockout loss, unfortunate for him, to Kevin Lee. Um, he's had a lot of time off since then, plenty of time to recover. And then his opponent, Brad Riddell, 
Well, Brad Riddell is currently 3-0 in the UFC, and his one loss in his career uh, came in his lightweight debut in his fourth pro fight. He's, he's 3-0. All of his fights have come by decision, but all have been super exciting fights. His UFC debut at UFC 243 was fight of the night. They've all been super fun fights. I believe that's going to be a good fight to watch. I, I am really looking forward to that one. You know, that's another fight where one of these guys could, you know, move a little bit further along in the UFC lightweight division with a win in this fight. Gregor Gillespie is number 15 in the world, so this is a chance for him to get his name back on the mat. And for Brad Riddell, this is a chance to break into the top 15. I, there's, I, you're never going to get me to complain about a situation like that. Now, the main event is where things get interesting. We've got Kevin Big Mouth Holland coming off of his knockout of the year contender over Jacare Souza, and who is on a five-fight winning streak since losing to Brendan Allen. Now, in those wins, he has a 39-second TKO. He has a TKO over Joaquin Buckley in the third round. He has a split decision win over Darren Stewart. He has a TKO submission due to slam victory. And then he's got the knockout on Jacare, which, if we're being honest, in a year where Joaquin Buckley's jumping, spinning back, spinning wheel kick knockout didn't happen, would have been knockout of the year. This man knocked out Jacare Soze, Jiu-Jitsu world champion. A man who, if you get him on the ground and he gets or he gets you on the ground, you are in trouble. Kevin Holland knocked him out from the bottom. If I sh- if pro wrestling had a match end the way that that fight ended, you would have pointed it out and said that is fake and that could never happen. Kevin Holland sat up off of his butt, threw a punch, and put Jacare down, and landed some follow up strikes that weren't really needed. Jacare was done. Kevin Holland is absolutely the MVP of the cor- the 2020 quarantine, five fights last year, winning all of them, and then finishing the year with that. Absolutely incredible. And after that fight, he, he called out Derek Brunson. He, he said, you know, watching Derek Brunson fight and watching his stand-up is an insult to striking. I believe that was hilarious trash-talking. You know, uh, he's had some... Derek Brunson's had some losses along the way, you know, uh, controversial decision lost to Anderson Silva that I believe he won. If I go back and watch it, maybe I'd change my mind, but I remember watching it live thinking Brunson won. You know, he had the TKO loss to Robert Whitaker before that, uh, beat Dan Kelly, beat Machida, then he lost to Jacare by uh, TKO, then he lost to Adesanya by TKO, but now he's on a three-fight winning streak. Uh, beat Elias Theodoro, beat Ian Heinish by decision, and then got a TKO on Edmund Shabazi, and in a fight where he was weirdly the underdog. Um, I think, I, I thought going into it, it might be a bit too much too soon for Edmund Shabazian, and it proved to be that way. One thing we saw about Edmund Shabazian is he definitely needs to work on his cardio and his ground defense. Um, he got worn out very quickly by Derek Brunson. Derek Brunson is on a pretty good winning streak right now. It's the most significant winning streak he's been able to put out in quite a long time. He's the number seven guy in the world. This is a great fight for Kevin Holland to try and burst into the top of the division. Uh, Personally, in this fight, I'm taking Kevin Holland, but it's really tough to discredit Derek Brunson right now. Derek Brunson is definitely working his way up. However, if I had to take a winner in this fight, I'd pick Kevin Holland. But I think this is going to be a really fun fight, I think, next Saturday. It's going to be a really fun fight night. I think we'll have plenty to talk about. There will probably be some more news coming out 
in the next couple days that we'll be able to discuss next Monday. But as far as this week goes, that's all I've got. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Don't forget to tune in next week. Continue tuning in, and I will see you guys next Monday. But for that, have a great rest of your week.